0: tones of my nasal twine infested everyone's earlobes, Uh, there's uh, 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 parking lots everywhere near this uh, venue, so really the best thing you can say about this venue is, if you can't find a place to park, wow, um, you're not trying, because that's all there is as far as I can see, there's a rental car I think, Uh, everything's closed when I'm here, I've never been here when anything was open, and I've never seen anyone but healthy people and you guys. Because people jog by in their annoying outfits, right? With their headphones on and their bit watch or whatever. Because they're on a keto diet and they're better than you because they can restrain themselves. I'm not buying it, one. And two, what is discipline but the opposite of having fun? And so, we move forward. Uh, it's, I haven't been in Tacoma in a couple of years. The last time I was here was right before uh, November of 2016. And uh, that was, of course, as you recall, the Giants didn't make the playoffs. And so, <laughs> tragic year that year. The Cubs won the World Series. That's the best thing you can say about 2016, I guess. If you like the Cubs, if you don't, then it's one of the worst things you could say about it. It wasn't a Boston team, so I'm happy in a small way. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's, it's nice to come back. I haven't seen the post-apocalyptic damage, but everybody looks to be pretty healthy and doing well. And uh, You know, the same amount of freaks on the street here, and the same dazzling array of noises that only this town provides, perched as it is, at the edge of meth and weed, right near where the (laughs) surf meets the turf, as it were, the ocean on one side, the guns on the other, it's just a fantastic situation here. You lie in bed and you hear the train go by. Then you even hear boats. You hear you hear whistles from boats, which is amazing, or, or as they're called, technically a, a big boats. And then, in the wake of the big boat, disgruntled, startled narwhal. It's one of the most beguiling things about them. They're one of the most mysterious animals in nature. One, they're not a mammal; they're a fruit. Two, <laughs> they've adopted a pre-World War I German helmet attitude that's been all around life. Other animals give you two horns, maybe some antlers. If you're a big Irish elk, you'd have a giant parade of antlers. If you're a, you know, a rhino, you'd go, the big one, little one, or little one, big one. Normals just saying, screw you. <laughs> This thing tapers, and it twists toward you. Yeah, that's not an optical illusion. The narwhal, thank you for that random laughter. The narwhal is a cetacean and a fruit. Oh, little narwhal, do not cut a wall or hit the wall above me. You are a cetacean. You are not a crustacean. I have a eustachian. (laughs) <laughs> That's the song of the narwhal, and it's what rings through the air here in Tacoma. Last time I was here, I went to a, a tiny chonsky shop called, chonskys are, uh, for white people, brick and brack.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. The Jews are like, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, it's Washington, the Jew. <laughs> so uh, if you're looking for a place to live, uh, not going to push people toward Tacoma, but it's already happening. Seattle's priced itself out of existence. In order to live in Seattle, you have to be a bar of gold. <laughs> you, have, you really you have to be a wagon of cocaine to live in Seattle. Because it's, it's expensive. Um, it's reached the San francisco level. And so people are moving to Tacoma, um, the drugged up, sort of battered sister city of Seattle. Just below the airport, just near the Tacoma Dome. The most extraordinary of all domes. It's the largest of all domes in the world. I don't know if you're aware of that. It was originally built in the Malagasy Republic and moved here piece by piece. There's a lot of exciting shows at the Tacoma Dome. This week is the RV festival. Where... Yeah, you heard me. Thursday through Sunday. This is your chance to look at them all with a big nose. Free hot dogs for the first people who are married to a decent relative.
1: <laughs> the RV
0: show rolls on when you're too cheap to buy a hotel and have to empty your own filth into a weird communal thing in a park. Sing ho for the open highway. Sing ho for the open road! Deals are available. Sing hot and is old The RV show is at the Tacoma Dome, and I'm told by Tony, uh, our general manager here that uh, that um, people come from all over the world. You might have said all over the country, but all over the world makes it sound better. Right? All of a sudden, Lisa Stansfield shows up and shit, right? Because she's been around the world. She can't find her baby. She's going to find him. She's going to look everywhere. Maybe he's hiding in the back of a mobile home in Tacoma. Maybe he's had a bad narwhal that's an interceptor. Maybe he tried to store weed from a policeman. That can happen. It's easy. You're like, you're in a uniform. Do you have official weed? And they're like, no. And you're like, oh, right, never mind. Because they can't do anything to you now, because Washington is one of the enlightened parts of the United States. The western part of Washington is very enlightened indeed, the eastern part, wow. <laughs> To you to pick up some cotlets. I'm a cotlet driver by trade. My daddy and granddaddy were cotlet wagon drivers. I'll explain what a cotlet is to the people listening outside the general Washington state area. It's only known around these parts. What we would call a cotton anywhere else in the world is a Turkish delight. It's a gelatinous fruit-based candy that holds together on its own in the shape of a heat bar. <laughs> but where's the big girl in that? I can always have Turkish toffee. It's not toffee. It's Turkish delight. <laughs> when you go to the country of Turkey, people will boil some fruit <laughs> and render it down into a small, delicious lozenges, lozenges, Lojins. Borrow it. <laughs> and then look to you with it. <laughs> the twist of the cotton is simply this. It's covered in powdered sugar. How much powdered sugar? So much that if you inhale while putting the first light in your mouth, you'll asphyxiate and die. <laughs> if you go, hey, these are good collets,
1: <gasps> the
0: moisture in the back of your throat mixes with the powdered sugar to block off your glass. <laughs> That's what you have to call the Narwhal Patrol. <laughs> Narwhal walks into a bar. He <laughs> goes.
1: <laughs>
0: bar goes, Shamu, go home, you're drunk. <laughs> I'll be here all weekend. Stand up comedy as well as tonight's Cripper Cast podcast. Uh, so that's what Tacoma's all about. I went to a bookstore here last time called The Near Side of Narwhal. I bought a t shirt. Thank you for the two people that have read it. Book. Books are um, they're coming back. Yeah, they're coming back. We're going to need them. We're going to have to build a wall to keep everyone from Eastern Washington out. And it's the only thing that's great. Right <laughs> they have the firearms and they have the trucks and they've got the college. So they are coming over. Yakima, Spokane the whole, the whole deal I'm in Spokane on Saturday and Sunday it we be like, alright. <laughs> I, I got a standing At the last time I was in Spokane But I did not expect it You know how like When you're not really trying When you're making love And at the end They're like Wow that's great And you're like Oh yeah Fuck yeah and, and you, 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 What I just did Was like a, a sky hook But you normally You do what you like And uh, And <laughs> You know, just drop one after the fact. And uh, it was like ah, uh, I did my sentence. okay, I, mean, I thought it was quite good, obviously. I'm enorm- I'm enormously polished and sophisticated. And, and the, the endings of my jokes are like sharpened barbs, you're like, ow, I didn't see that one coming. But I did not expected the stand. And I said as much. I was like, you scared the shit out of me. Because <laughs> this is Spokane and people want to for two reasons here. And one of them is to throw down on you.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm making it sound much worse than it is. I was in Spokane in the early 80s. In fact, uh, the television show, Who's Line, which is now in its 75th great year on TV. <laughs> uh, this is our seventh season on the CW. We had four on NBC and ten in England. You do the math and in that interim 30 years have passed (laughs) and uh, I've been in a group with Ryan Stiles who lives in uh, Bellingham, Washington uh, which is a a great place to score about before you go to Canada (laughs) and uh, he he lives there me and him have been in a group together since 2000 so a while right and uh, Drew started it Uh, Drew started it I don't care who started it I want you all to sit down (laughs) Drew started it we were shooting a, an episode of his line and um, we're pretty drunk. And, uh, Drew says a joke, but okay, whatever. And uh, I'm standing on stage next to Drew's little booth with the button and the buzzer notch and all that shit. And um, he goes, Hey, man, uh, hey uh, what are do you doing Super Bowl weekend? And I go, N- Nothing, Duncan. Um, I'm rarely booked at Super Bowl weekend because. Uh, as you know, I'm a high roller, and I like to roll into whatever time the Super Bowls and just kick the shit out of everybody gambling. <laughs> and um, he said, hey, we'll go to um you Do you pressure. And I went, yeah, sure. And that's what started it, and that was 1999. And uh, so we've been on the road since then. I don't know why I'm telling you this. You don't need to know this. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know. I know, you want to know. There was a point to this story when it started in a long ago. cocaine?
1: <laughs> no, not cocaine. <laughs>
0: not, not either. Um, Smoking. So, okay, thank you. Because uh, she don't lie. She don't lie. She don't lie. Smoking. Okay, so I was playing with Tom Kenny. I wasn't playing with Tom Kenny. I was appearing. I was appearing with Tom Kenny. We were on the same bill, as we say in vaudeville. And um, may I have another black eye can feel it's one dwindling. dwindling. Um, and we were touring. What was called in those days? There was a promoter named John, uh, Mr. Fox, and they, we called it the Fox Trot. You went all around Eastern Washington. and You know, first you played Seattle, so you had an overwhelming sense of well-being. And you knew you to score heroin. You need you to get a tattoo on the end of your uh, genitalia. You knew all, everything could happen for you. You could go to the Gravity Bar and get a, um, a spirulina or whatever. In the U District, and this is the old days. I don't know. Vodka, I said. Why? I mean, what do I have to do? I'm mean, a I... Um, So, uh, you did those gigs, and then you got in the car and you drove across Washington to the other side of Washington, and you played uh, Pullman and Moscow, Idaho, Spokane, at a place called the Rocking Horse. So, I was on stage at the Rocking Horse one time in Spokane, and it was a beautifully designed room. It was as if they uh, built a place to store, uh, uh, you know, vegetables for all of that area. And so there were shelves, and you were kind of up on a shelf, and there was a Rocking Horse on the stage, which was really curvy. You know, like a rock, like, no where adults drink shouldn't be called the, you know the pamper damper it's you know let's jazz this how about the midnight swirl you know what I mean take me somewhere let's you know like the cherry lounge let's do it but not a rocking horse. and so there was a rocking horse on the stage or, or rather to the side of the stage rather obtrusively, like it was on, 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 in Jonathan Winter's mind and uh so you performed with this horrible light on you like you were being caught running out of stall on 13 and there was a rocking horse next to you and the crowd was um, abject in so much as um, almost any spoken word art form was going to elude them.
1: <laughs> so
0: their, their spirits weren't high when they came in because they knew it was going to be an uphill slog. I mean, if we had taken two cars and crashed them together in front of them, I think the crowd would have loved every show I did at the Rockin' House. As it was, we had to rely on words and gestures. And so uh, I tried to communicate with them, you know, comedian. (laughs) Okay, relax, breathe. Because they're all in, like, baboon fight mode. (laughs) And we are like, okay, relax, okay. And um, I guess they handed out gimme caps at the door. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate that, man. I didn't expect you to come in that direction and startle me a little bit. Then I remembered, there's no approaching from the floor because they've removed the staircase that once surrounded this tiny tie with caraway wedge that's up here. I assume because people kept... uh, Lazy, the manager told me, because people kept falling off of that. Now, I would have thought that would have been one of the funniest goddamn things that could happen. (laughs) LAUGHTER I don't want to spill, because I have bad eyesight. The point is this, so I says to the manager after the show, the guy running, no, there's no manager at the Rocky Horse, six days a week, 380 days a year, it was a shithole that shit-givers came to to kick shit. (laughs) Once in a while, they put on a comedy show, like one month or whatever the fuck it was. So these dudes are sitting like where you guys are in the other, uh, you know, corn crib. And uh, they're on my dick through the whole set. This set was 1987, by the way.
1: Because
0: my recollection is unfailing if the set is shitty. <laughs> You'll find that with all comedians. If you ask them what their favorite gig is, they're like, oh, yeah. no. Can, you can remember the good ones, like Spokane. But, uh, the ones that sucked enormous, honky dong. Uh, yeah, those stanch, you remember? And this is why. These guys are around my dick. They've got beards and hats. And they're like, no, fuck you. So I fed them off. I'm like, oh, my God. How did, you know, four Shakespeare's get in one truck? Um, <laughs> nothing worked, as you might imagine. I, I, I used drops and ointments and dabs and head fakes and stratagem. I got a lot of tricks. In 87, not as many, but I had some. And um, you okay? Fine. Right. I want to make sure everyone's all right when I hear Coughing from far away reaches, all I can think of is the tubercular narwhal. <laughs> the Labor Day mascot of Tacoma's greatest telephone, the <laughs> narwhal. Here's little Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> He's an Someone just went, oh. <laughs> Can just move one person. (laughs) What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. (laughs) So these guys won't stop, right? And I think my set was 20 minutes or whatever. There was no opener. It was a low budget show. As the king said in the album, I'm all alone when you get $50 and then they argue with you over the burger <laughs> shows us it's glamorous <laughs> and uh I finish and I go over to the you know whatever his name was drying or whatever he had a misspelled tattoo and you know and I says Gdrang uh, these guys they won't shut up and shit and uh oh, no. He goes to me, and uh, this is why playing one-nighters on the road is an experience that's both edifying and uh, what what Vince Lombardi would say, a character builder.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell them to shut up; they'll build this place. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, <like>, fair enough. <laughs> I hated the headliner on that run so much that I believe I split from that gig on my own and walked back to the hotel. That's another special numbers of the Red. For the first four hours, we chatted about baseball, of which I can go on at great length. I won't tonight, because I want you to like me and (laughs) sleep with You don't start in with baseball if you want someone to sleep with you. That is not (laughs) not a big opener.
1: Did you check out
0: the fucking Rangers deal? (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. So, I was in Spokane with Tom, and I had a Buick Electric 225, the deuce and a quarter as it was known. that my friend Kathy had given me, because her parents wanted to get rid of it. It was from 1975, and it had a rusty muffler, No heat, or the heat failed. Um, one of the windows never really went up. Um, and they were electric windows, so it couldn't, I don't know and I was poor and it was 21 feet long and 80 feet so you could have the castle of the Titanic in it you could you could perform your in town in the back seat you could do so. It was, it was commodious let me put it that way uh, the uh, the Colosseum didn't have you could fill my uh, Buick with long water and have uh, you know long Olympics on them on the waves like, like they did in the Roman days and uh, it was big So I drove Tom around. I picked him up at the Boise airport and I drove him around uh, this eastern swing. And one night we were playing Moscow, Idaho, in the only place that's there. And it was a disco, so it wasn't meant to, for performers. But again, as we're discussing the matter at hand, so people were seated around the disco dance floor, and you. We're in the center of the dance floor, oh, no, like no. a Star Trek figure all on your own. <laughs> and to add to the Star Trek jury feeling, there was a purple light that ran around the perimeter, so everyone's face was cast in an unholy, um, overlooked hotel glow. Okay. All of the men had baseball hats on, because all of them were athletes who were about to be brought up on charges. <laughs> all of the women there were sad. These are the men they had to go home with. Drunkenness is in the air, and as Cormac McCarthy so aptly puts it, that growing sense of violence that's so endemic to places like this. So I get up, and I do my act, and of course, I beguile them. Uh, Some ankle turns. They've never seen a triple proof sluts the way I do. I get through my 25, and then I bring Mr. Kenny up. Mr. Kenny will know... One of the dominant voices in animation in the last 20 years. He is, in fact, SpongeBob and uh, has a very wonderful career doing voiceovers. I've had the pleasure of doing several cartoons with him, including the Powerpuff Girls and uh, a a Stan Lee cartoon, where I got to meet Stan Lee, um, uh, with Pam Anderson that was called Stripperella, where she was a superhero and also a stripper, and her best girlfriend on the show was named Ariadne and Pamela at that time Uh, Pamela's life is a series of poor she's tiny she was ever so kind when I met her Uh, her her life is a series of poor decisions let's be honest Tommy Lee probably the best decision and that was kind of a toughie as you recall when he beat on her so Then there was a a kid rock portion of her life, and according to rumor and gossip that I read at the time, is there more air conditioning? Now I sound like a really whiny, whiny Jewish comic of the eighties. Are you hot? Oh, but you're fanning yourself in sympathy. I love it. Thank you. I'm so sweet of you. And you know you're in Tacoma. Someone's gonna make a sand candle, and there's gonna be bad oil art, and I'm guessing. Smoked jerk cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a psychic, but I'm just guessing in this area. You're not going to be hurting for that at any point. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. Cool. So, Tom and I are getting in Moscow, and I bring him up. And Tom, in those days, uh, affected... Uh, we talked about his illustrious career. Well, yeah, okay, so... Yeah. Mm. Pam Anderson, well, as a sidebar here, uh, was one of the few women I ever met that was wearing um, a, a belly chain. It, it's a chain made of gold, a very fine link mesh, that describes a circle around here, or an oval rather. So she was she was wearing one, and as I say, diminutive doesn't begin to describe. She's a Christmas ornament. <laughs> uh, adorable. So at the time, she was dating the problematic Kid Rock, and by problematic, I mean his existence. <laughs> He is a pointed dilemma for so many of us. Other people are like, I like her, wrong. I know. <laughs> I try not to let that stand in the way of what we're doing.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so when they were dating, she got him a part of the show. Right? Stanley was there to tell you my Stanley story. He happened to be there in the studio one day. He's swirling in the stars. Uh, he is in fact in Asgard, um, uh, right? as far as I know. He's in the hall. Yeah. From the hallowed halls of Asgard Where something can be I don't know how they As you gaze in breathless wonder The god of thunder Mighty Thor That was the theme song of the Thor when I was little. From the sound of the vaulted halls of Asgard And Thor Is <laughs> that Jack Kirby? It might be the biggest cartoon book idiot of all time I just called it cartoon books <laughs> you would think by looking at me that I would be an expert on the graphic novel, but I'm not. It's not something that interests me that much. I've read them, uh, and, uh, I appreciate what people give them to me. I read the ones you give me. I really do. Especially the lesbian ones, those are awesome. <laughs> uh, but I don't know the names of all of them. In any case, Stanley was there, and he went, hey, how you doing? And went, this is Greg. Stanley, and I was like, Mr. Lee, what a pleasure. And I didn't say Excelsior. Even though I know that's how he he's ended every one of his editorials, mm-hmm. my friend Jeff Elton, who uh, is also swirling in the stars, with Stan yeah. And I grew up together. And Jeff liked the DC comics a lot, and he liked um, Superman all a lot. Um, what was his name? Green Lantern. And um, then uh, the Marvel ones were like Fantastic Four, whatnot. And then the Silver Surfer had his own book for a while, but. These were all cartoon shows that were on telly, so I'm not just pulling the shit out of the air. We watched them on Saturday morning and ate out of a big plastic bowl of cereal and got jacked up on fucking cereal. And then we watched fucking, uh, the Thor one was on in the afternoon. The Thor one was on at like the local TV hosts would show that one, which in San Francisco was um, Captain Sacramento. Oh, what was his name? Uh, Sergeant Sacto, which means Sacramento. Um, And the name of the show was Captain San Francisco. And it took place because I know you want to know now on a spaceship. Okay, so the setting was two middle-aged guys wearing uniforms on a spaceship. This is the late sixties, early seventies, and the camera would pull in, and he'd go, "Hi, I'm Sergeant Sacko. Hi, hey, kids. You know, today we're having a, you know, win. here's a cartoon, and then follow the cartoon turn the they Then show Thor, and then a kid would be asked to join them in the studio, and he would get to sit at the console, which consisted of what looks pretty much like what I've got here, like nothing, right? You know, like, you know, and then that's it. Nothing. There was buttons. This was them. It was low-tech. And then they gave them a bag of candy and shit
1: <laughs>
0: from local businesses, right? You get a toy and a candy. I never went on it, but um, they made you wear a uniform when you came on a ship. It was cool. Um, every city in the United States had a TV show like that, sometimes two or three, sometimes some in the morning, too. Everything from Greek gods who guarded a vault of fire Um, My wife tells me about one um, that they used to watch when they lived in Montana, that they got from Canada, that was a a French mouse, like named Boisette or something, and they spoke French and English on the show, and the lady talked to the mouse and shit and she it was the world's worst puppet. (laughs) You know, you kids, you got your phone, you can watch a movie on it, you can go on Snapchat, you can can watch whatever horrible, depraved shit you want to watch. We have a fucking guy in a spaceship
1: <laughs>
0: named Sergeant Sato. They didn't even think about it at the meeting. And by the way, Captain San Francisco was an errant commander. He was never there. Seriously, he was never there. Sergeant Sato did the lion's share and all of the fucking heavy lifting. Oh, good. Um, so I bring Tom Kenny on stage in this dis—we're in a disco in Moscow, Idaho, with a bunch of uh, really, really angry football players hanging over the rail. And Tom gets up, and in those days he affected a, a really magnificent rockabilly look—drained um, white pants, um, big suede creepers, um, a, a, a tight pink, uh, like you know, rock and roll jacket, you know, and uh, with the, with, a, with a teddy kind of collar and um, a giant ass hairdo that went way far up in the top, and then totally Woody Wood peppered in the back. (laughs) So, he looked fucking, you know, Reverend Horton Heat, right? And um, I, in those days, affected skull shirts, giant black glasses, and an enormous pompadour. So, we were, in fact, a gay couple traveling together from San Francisco, (laughs) across (laughs) Eastern Washington, and everywhere we went, we were greeted as such. And so... (laughs) The people in Eastern Washington took us to their parts. We were their favorite gay couple for the entire week. We were on the road. So the deuce and a quarter broke down outside of the truck stop somewhere, pulley up or somewhere. And uh, I'm not fucking kidding that. And there was a big sign down the road that said, truck stop eat. And uh, this was the 80s. And uh, uh, I had a flashlight in the back of the truck that bought, I bought, in the back of my car that I bought in the, in the boot, as it were. Um, because I, the car broke down constantly, and um, when you have a car that breaks down all the time, you know that you, you have to do certain things, like like fill it with water and you know change the thing that goes around the belt,
1: <laughs>
0: the thing fan belt, and uh, uh, which I changed uh, worst fucking day of my life. But all right, so uh, where's my parade? Where's Greg's fan belt parade? Um, we break down and. Uh, we decided to walk to the truck stop up the way because it's close enough, about a half a mile or huh? so. I got Tom. Let me open up my trunk. to get this flashlight. It wasn't just a flashlight; It was a fucking three-way flashlight from the 80s. It's about this big. It had, yeah, it had an emergency light. Yeah, the red one. It had a big orange flashing light that you can have on several degrees of flashing. Um, grandma, Penny, Mall, and Grandma. And, and grandma Grandma, wake like, up. Ah, Grandma, wake like, up. Ah, why did I do this to you? Why did I do this to you? And, uh, and NFL player Stun was never shot. And then there was a big white fluorescent light that was horrible. You know, there's nothing worse than a fluorescent light, right? And especially when that's all the light you've got. You feel like you're in 1984. You know, when you're in the cell with Winston and shit, they've just thrown you in. You know, like, my children, see, you turn in, I'm proud of them, actually. You know, so I turn on the flashing light and I turn on the fucking, you know, orange one, and Tom becomes hysterical and falls down on the side of the road laughing. And I'm like, fuck you, man. (laughs) Semper Paratus, always prepared. We'd be killed walking up this fucking frontage road. And I'm trying to protect your skinny, useless, rockabilly life. And he goes, it's exactly like something my fucking dad would have his fucking dick. <laughs> so we walked up the road and I warded traffic off
1: <laughs>
0: with the dazzling ray. Right? It didn't have a noise maker. You know, I, I have an earthquake thing now that uh, Jennifer, because we live in California and we have an earthquake thing. You know, preparedness, whatever it's called. And, um, you know, you're supposed to, you put... Um, Two thousand dollars in, you know, Confederate money and, uh, a, you know, a bong and all the Tylenol in the world and any Oxy that doctors have given you over the years, <laughs> some ingots or whatever, a firearm, a bucket of water, whatever you know, there's a raccoon. I don't know what you need after this right If it happens, fuck it. I don't care. So I don't, I don't really know what you need and I don't care anymore. But we have one and. Um, it's got a radio that's like from the Soviet era. Um, it, you, it, a handle pulls out of this horribly shaped. It's kind of like what a praying mantis sex toy shape. <laughs> and you pull the handle out and start to spin it like this. It's a rotor. If anyone knows what a rotor is, if anyone's yeah. old school, we might have one or two engineers and mechanics in the room that remember how when things work, um, they're mechanical and then mechanical things break and that's why we're now we're in this age where everything is oh fuck oh, fuck, um, because there's nothing you can do to it if something was mechanical you could fucking take something heavy and just fucking ah! and then sometimes it would work
1: it's a true true story yeah. Yeah.
0: true stories of the 70s your car, sometimes you kick it or whatever. Things that didn't work that were mechanical were supposed to do things. You just, bam, give them a bash or hit them against the wall or something. And they fucking... You ever seen the movie The Longest Day? It's, a, it's an awesome World War II movie about the invasion of Normandy on D-Day. And it covers all the bases except they leave Canada out entirely. Canada's whole fucking division that died on Juno or whatever is written out in the movie for time's sake and the movie's five hours long. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's got great Nazis and the Nazi high command yelling at each other and no one will wake up Hitler. Hitler's asleep and no one will believe that the invasion's begun. It's just fantastic. Evidently the Germans were completely caught napping and all they did was rally and keep the war going for another six months. (laughs) Or for another year rather. So... Uh, and in any case it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful movie and they, they hit the beach and Robert Mitchum's there and John Wayne's there John Wayne breaks his ankle and he and uh, there's a, a company doctor and the, the doctor goes you got your crush and your ankle will go places and he goes I'll lace it up doc <laughs> and the doctor goes you shouldn't go and he goes I said lace it up
1: <laughs>
0: and then proceeds to walk with several fractures of his ankle through the rest of the movie until they need a wheelbarrow at which point, or a cart, two soldiers are pulling a cart, he says, Come here, soldier, and he gets on the fucking cart and makes them pull him. <laughs> Cause that's Yankee ingenuity.
1: <laughs>
0: if you hear anything in any crap, keep your ears peeled. Come <laughs> on. Fascism was so cool in the old movies. It really was. As I said, the point of Hollywood movies from the beginning of them until basically the 60s was that everyone in America is Scottish Irish, and, uh, uh, uh fascism is awesome. Uh, John Wayne in every movie was named McClain, McCain, McClintock, McQuaid. I'm trying to think of all of his names. Uh, Nathan Kane. what's his name in that one? He's, he, if there's not a make in his name, I'll be... Fucking, I'm God damn, I can I can turn you right Walter Brennan was in several of the movies. Walter Brennan's in Red River with him, and he's the conscience of the movie. Why, well, look at you, yeah, you wouldn't know how to act if you were taking it. company. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Quit your job. People, people jog. <laughs> mm. Coburn, he's Coburn in two movies, Rooster car-burn. Uh, and that's a great fucking character John patch and he shit they struck in the whole movie it's just <laughs> great yeah in both movies I mean he calls there's a 14 year old girl who hires him to kill a guy and uh, yeah. who killed her father and he calls her little sister yeah and then in the Comancheros when Lee Marvin walks through the movie with half of a head of hair because he's been partially scalped. <laughs> so the whole movie he's wearing these bitchy striped trousers And he's a lethal gunfighter. I think his name's Johnny. Live Armin. Live Armin. Why don't you shut up? You know, fucking he's insolent, right? And finally the dude fucking bang bang! There's a couple fucking slugs in him, right? And um Stuart Whitman plays the uh the uh uptown gambler when they're gambling around the poker table and starts the fight, gentlemen, gentlemen, please. We're all here to enjoy each other's company, (laughs) like so he has the string tie and the brocade vest. And they get stuck together, him and the dude, and the dude calls him, Mansour
1: Because
0: <laughs> you're fancy. <laughs> All right, Monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> so, they're on the beach, and, um, one of the British landing uh, crafts has deposited an armored vehicle on the beach with a little gun in it. It looks awful. It's this hilarious British, British 30s technology. It's, it looks like a World War I tank with a terrible little gun sitting <laughs> on it. And there's two Tommies, or several Tommies, pushing the fucker, trying to start it. And Kenneth uh, Moore, who's a wonderful British actor, has got a full beard and a bulldog that looks like Winston Churchill on a leash. <laughs> And he's got a shillelagh and a tam, right? He's wearing a tam. And for those of you listening who don't know what a tam is, it's a—it means you're Scottish Irish. It's a tiny beret Scottish Irish people wear. As nightingale, I hear you cough in the night. I'm not talking about moving in, and I don't want to change your life. As an asthmatic all in the sound of night. And I'd really love to see you to really love. I won't ask for curvy tusks, so you won't have to lie. We both played that game. Oh, it's keeping going. <laughs> My shadow. My shadow. <laughs> Nothing but a it so this the water vehicle won't work and Kenneth Moore comes over to his dog. And he goes, you know what my grandmother always said? She said if something's mechanical and it's well won, give it a good bash! And he takes the shillelagh and goes, wow! Well, and fucking smashes it. And the thing goes Room, and starts right up and down.
1: And he goes, off you go!
0: Ah, Hitler's that way <laughs> <laughs> Here's one in the eye for you, Mr. Hitler And off we go Poo-poo Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, Britain during World War Oh, stout, stout
1: <laughs>
0: Richard Burton's in the movie Just briefly And then we're going to move back into the Spokane story Which isn't done yet <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting really story I got a lot and, the, and, the, and this fucking oh. yeah. I got the Bible up here oh. what do you mean by that it's holy and I wrote it <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, so he uh, uh, where are we on now Kenneth Moore just bashed them Richard Burton Burton's in the movie and he plays a pilot and all the pilots in the movie are completely desolate it's awesome the German pilots that get called when D-Day happens and this is true there's two of them because they're all that's posted that far north so they can go to the beach. Everyone else has been posted down south. So, in France, France. Play to myself. Play it. Play it. <laughs> <laughs> we all know. It's the only patriotic moment in a movie that I ever cry at. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not our anthem.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> in the movie Casablanca, uh, the Nazis get out to sing a song in the bar, as Nazis will. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and Victor Laszlo, who's escaped from two concentration camps, looks up from his table when he hears the fucking German music... And walks over to the orchestra in Rick's Cafe American and uh, okay. Gazzleman <laughs> and he yeah. goes, Play <laughs> And the band leader looks at him and looks over at Rick. And there's a cutaway of Humphrey Bogart in the movie, yeah. wearing a white dinner jacket, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And they didn't tell him what he was doing when they did the cutaway, they simply got him doing a cutaway okay. of Down. Like because if he'd known, I think he might have given it too much. But In any case, he goes like this. And uh, you know the, the literary expression, nods imperceptibly? He nods enough that you know he nodded. And the band strikes up Le Marseille, and Victor wearing a white suit stands in front, of him, and everyone gets up in the bar and starts singing all the French soldiers first, the policemen. Oh, there's no soldiers, there's policemen. Policemen get up, and then finally the prostitute is found crying at the bar. Because <laughs> sentimentality is awesome <laughs> and very, very effective. And that's the moment we we're crying. Then they finish, machon, machon, and then all of the French people come over and pat him on the back and pound him and start buying him drinks. And that's when the Nazi comes over to Captain Raynaud and goes, "I want the bar closed after that unfortunate outbreak." And he says, "For oh, what reason?" And have having such a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <it>. and then <whistles> I'm shocked, shocked to find that scandal going on here. You're winning, <laughs> sir. Thank you. when they play anthems and shit it's always a little scary to me but that one is uh, awesome because Casablanca uh, has so much to say to right now Um, white supremacist Nazis are um, kind of a scourge and um, one of the ways you can fight them down is by being brave and Victor Laszlo is so brave in that movie he's unbelievably brave and Rick, our hero, isn't brave until the end when he's brave and then he's brave um, but it's a movie about bravery, right? Everyone's brave, and uh, uh, even the waitress, or, or Yvonne, rather, and uh, 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 Sasha, the, the um, bartender, and what's his name, Carl, the, uh, the waiter. He goes to meetings of the resistance every night after work and whatnot. So they all have out. And further, and I know I've talked about this before, but we'll skip back this, and then we're going to Moscow. And by Moscow, I mean the Idaho. Not the those who don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no, that kind of Moscow. Um, uh, everybody's in the movie. From who fought ceaselessly for civil rights here and fought against the House of American Activities Committee to Marcel, who plays the croupier, who goes, you're winning, sir. Um, he escaped from the Nazis. Carl um, escaped from the Nazis. Um, Sasha escaped from the Nazis. Um, Yvonne um, also escaped from the Nazis. Um, Conrad Weyot was married to a German woman, uh, and she was Jewish, and before the war he was a, G- a giant star in Germany. He plays the Nazi in the movie, and he's great looking. He's that's his moustache he looks like a ferret and Major um, <laughs> <laughs> Sosa has been shot <laughs> round with the usual suspects we have a dossier in you Mr. Blaine we know everything <laughs> about you and Humphrey Bogart picks it up and goes are my eyes really blue brown and blue white I fucked the line in the ass I'm doing it again <laughs> they can edit this part out Humphrey <laughs> Bogart picks up the dossier and goes are my eyes really brown and the Nazi takes the dossier why did you move to Casablanca for the waters." Waters? There's no waters in Castles like it. I was mission-formed.
1: <laughs>
0: it always works because Bogart's not funny at all. So he doesn't try to ever be funny. That line kills in the movie, and everybody always laughs at it. If you see it live in a theater, people will laugh at that line. Because it's fucking funny. Because he goes, I was mission-formed. <laughs> like it's in a horror movie. <laughs> In any case, everyone in the movie... Oh, so Conrad Wright, who plays the Nazi, Richard Strauss, uh, his wife was Jewish, and when they, um, uh, they gave him a form to fill out everyone's, his and his wife's ethnicity before the war, and he wrote, like, German. And he wrote, oh, for his name, he wrote Jewish. And they came to him, and they went, look, we're going to give you another chance. we love you. Um, just, you know, and he went, you no know, And he got out. Somehow he got out. Anyway, it's a movie called Heroes, and it's about heroism, so I really enjoyed that movie. Speaking of heroes, let's get back to Tom Kinney on stage in Moscow. <laughs> wow. Surrounded by that friendly crowd of uh, football players, Tom was wearing his rockabilly outfit, and I left the room for a few moments. I can't remember why. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate you having me back. Everyone in the room already filled in why I left the room. One reason since I was 15, so I left the room and I came back, and some 10 minutes, 15 minutes later. Not that much time, even really. Thomas was to do 45, maybe. Uh, uh, this is how we talk in comedy. Uh, he was doing a set uh, at a gig. We stay in a crib. We drive a sled. And uh, whoa. I come back in and Tom's on stage going, "Um, why am I here? Why am I here? I want you to tell me, ladies and gentlemen, why I'm up here. And that was going on for a while. (laughs) I realized when I caught him in full existential crisis. (laughs) I want to know why I'm up here. I want to know why I'm up here. Tell me why I'm up here. Tell me why I'm up here. I want you to tell me why I'm up here. That's all he was doing. There was no jokes. So, quick, quickly grasping the situation, I intervened. Because I was a host, you see, and um, compare. And I, so, I, bumped, as we say in the biz, I bum-rushed the sham. I ran onto the floor, because it wasn't the stage. trying not to slip all the way in my little pointy boots (laughs) trying not to get my bolo tie lodged in my trachea (laughs) and in my skull shirt I grabbed the microphone and I said ladies and gentlemen let's hear it from Tom Kenny your headline and they applauded kind of uh, uh, and then we fucked off so we went to my room where I consoled Tom with oodles of marijuana. We were Eastern Washington's favorite kid couple that week. In the room we watched, Who's That Girl with Madonna? Yes, we did. Yes. Yes, we did, Brad. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. did. Very high and very critical, by the way. A lot of value judgment. If you want two guys with horn of glasses to want a mile a fucking minute when they're high, Tom Kenny and I broke that shit down. And Griffin Dunn did not come off that well.
1: Oh,
0: no. In those days. So, can I have another. uh guy. got guy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's the crowd that gives me strength. And <laughs> voice. So we decided we are starving Because we haven't had Since probably the truck stop incident Which by the way To f- conclude that story <laughs> We went to a truck stop We got there We both to breakfast Because we were skinny then And He's still skinny And uh, There were phones there That you could call You know The people who save you And so we ordered, like, ham and eggs or whatever the fuck it was. It was, you know, late. And, uh, as soon as my food came, literally, as soon as it got sat down in front of me, the guy comes in and goes, I'm looking for a poo, and I'm like, it's me, it's me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I rode back with him, he fixed whatever, I think it was a tire or some bullshit. He fixed it, I gave him $20 or whatever in those days, probably like $5, right? right? <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> welcome. I saw. I saw a man on the stair. At first, I thought he wasn't there. The guy came in and uh, took me away and fixed the car. And when I came back to the truck stop, some twenty minutes or half hour later, um, they had made me a new breakfast. Aww. Because they don't call Washington for nothing. <laughs> they, don't, they don't call her Ellensburg. <laughs> because she's a Jewish woman who lives in the middle of Washington. <laughs> My favorite town in Washington. And for people listening outside of Washington, other states and countries and principalities, duchies, island groups, and atolls, because this show goes everywhere, <laughs> confederations, new republics, south places. There's several countries that are south. Um, this uh, show, I seem to have lost the thread there. Now we're moving on. <laughs> what was
1: it? <laughs> the one?
0: Oh, George. (laughs) Because someone fucking thought it would be funny. Someone thought it would be funny. The state is named Washington. It's the most overtly new, you know. You notice Oregon has an Indian name. It's not called Jefferson. Right? And California is not called Madison. California has a name from a a mythical place from a 16th century Spanish novel that all the conquistadors (laughs) read. California was a distinct place. Like Cibola, uh, it was supposed to be full of delight and gold, which California, of course, is. Like like Washington State and Oregon, we have the weed, we have the wine, we have the cheese, we have the power. (laughs) We have coastline. That means... Japan and China and Korea and the Philippines are our neighbor. We have them all come over and we all get down. That's what makes a bitchin' McChicken. You go to the East Coast and there's a bridge with a fucking thing on it. And a horse. And you're like, alright, I don't care. Well, here's a place where white people killed a bunch of the indigenous people. They called it Thanksgiving. Our genocide took on a much different shape on the West (laughs) Coast. It's a long and storied history, the history of white people. White people decided when they came to these shores that they were working too hard and they needed more leisure time. Perhaps another group could substitute for them and do the work for (laughs) them. Well, that's been a through line
1: in white history ever
0: since. (laughs) I think about my forefathers and their leisure time. (laughs) It's so impressive. Just sitting on the porch, looking at all the other people work. (sighs) We'll be back with more white people history in just a moment. But first, this commercial message. Are you looking for a tchotchke while you're in (laughs) Tacoma? Near side of Narwhal is a place you might have known. Brick and addendums, funny novelty items that the whole family will enjoy. And if you speak Yiddish, charges. <laughs> <laughs> I made an album last week. I was in San Francisco at the Punchline uh, Comedy Club, which is uh, going to stay open. Hooray! Hooray It's an improvised album, I haven't named it yet, but we took pictures already for the cover. Um, We had a very extensive shoot over the weekend, like the monkeys, we went to the beach and I scooched backwards. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Here
0: we we come. Thank you. I didn't realize how much I loved Peter until he left us. I'm not kidding. He was never my favorite, I was always a Mickey girl. I've had, oh, Davey. Davey. Uh, we're getting to Jamie, <laughs> I've had two awesome Davy encounters, and oh, okay. several great Mickey encounters, Mickey is a um of the Hollywood area, and was as a child, his entire life has been spent in and around shows, and, um, David was in, um, uh, the, uh, cast of Oliver, that appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, The Night the Beatles debuted, oh. so, yeah, uh, and Davies was, as you know, small and perfectly formed.
1: <laughs>
0: he was a gorgeous little piece of crumpet and a really lovely cat. I met him, I went to the. What was that movie? The Brady Bunch movie? <laughs> I don't know why. They, I know why. I was playing at the comedy store in Lester Square in London, and they were having a party across the street at some bar for the Brady Bunch movie that they just showed at the Lester Theatre. And we were all invited over for some reason, and we all went. So I got to meet, what's her name? God damn, it, who plays who Who's Ben Stiller's wife? Christine Taylor. Christine
1: Taylor.
0: Christine Taylor, thank you. Christine Taylor was there, and uh, Gary Cole. And um, I had done a TV show with Gary Cole called Midnight Caller from 1990, you guys. And I went in to do the audition, and it was for a cab driver in San Francisco. And this was the part. I don't know how you get the idea. He, Midnight Caller was a radio show where he was an all-night talk show host was took all callers in from all over the world, or the country, whatnot. And Gary Cole would smoke. That was, was the 90s. He would smoke. And uh, he'd, uh, yeah, you're line. And people call in, right? And my character was, he gets in the back of the cab, and I go, I don't know how you get the ideas for all that stuff you talk about. I got a lot of ideas when I go in the cab myself. When I'm in the cab alone, I think of all these things, right? It was that character. So I wore a Giants cap to the audition, and I spoke with a New York accent, and I got the fucking part. And I said to my wife, who wasn't my wife yet, "I'm going to speak with a New York accent because all cab drivers are from New York." <laughs> so he gets in and he goes like, Chinatown or whatever the word we're going out in Union Square. Because that Gary Cole's character was—he wasn't the funny, hilarious, knowing. Wink in his eye Give you a lot of laughs Gary Cole That we know now He was the pre-Gary Cole Trying to be a cool cat In this one You know like a late night DJ So he goes like You need square." And I go Oh it's you I get a lot of people in the cab and I don't get that many famous ones and I don't know those ideas you think of How do you get those? And the fucking casting people are like Genius I'm like this is overriding." <laughs> <laughs> so it might have been one of my first gigs on TV. Anyway, Gary and I spent an evening in a cab together with him in the back and me driving him around. And um, We passed some people who were walking down past the Fog City Diner uh-huh. in San Francisco, and I said, what about you yuppie fuckballs? <laughs> and he burst out laughing. He was like, I've never fucking heard that. I'm like, "Cheers,"
1: Because
0: that's what we call them in San Francisco. And um, when there was such a thing as yuppies, do we have that anymore? Um, Where's the story going, brother? Tech problems. I don't know where it's going. Davy Jones was there. And um, <laughs> I was introduced to him. And his wife and his daughter were there, too. And I know you want to know this. His daughter was just a child then, probably 13, 14. Absolutely gorgeous. She looked just like him. So cute. I'm sure she's a gorgeous woman. Um, then I did this really weird gig on Barbados. And here was the people that were at the gig. This woman from the soap whose name I can't fucking remember blonde woman from uh, Too Close for Comfort, Richard Belzer, (laughs) Michael Imperioli from The Fucking Sopranos, me, dancing girls, and a group of women who were called the Women of the Supremes. They had occasionally been Supremes at certain points. They awesomely wore fur coats to the Caribbean. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: and forgot one and Damien Jones so we all got up yeah they for codes we all got up and did our bit I hosted some of it and what not Belzer got up and did stand up and Michael Imperioli got up and scared the crowd to death <laughs> and when you met him May I uh, his demeanor was quite like that. He was friendly enough, but I went, Hey my mom, I'm a big fan, so nice to meet you, he went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna get clipped, am I? <laughs> well, no. What does he say to her? She goes, I love you, Christopher. And he goes, You better. <laughs> Davy Jones got up and said, I'm Dave Green Believer, and I'm a believer. Oh, there you go. And it was great. We chatted, talked about how he had a farm in Pennsylvania, and how even at this age, he'd been a groom, and he was going to be a jockey because he was that small. And he was, loved horses his whole life, and he kept horses on the farm, and he rode them every day and shit. And you could tell that like, he was unhappy to do the gay here and there, but like he really wanted to ride those horses and shit. And... Um, then, uh, Mickey, the last night I saw him, the monkeys put out an album like three years ago, and it's really good. Um, Peter was still alive. They put out an album, I'm not kidding, and they did a bunch of groovy songs on it. And I saw him at Musso in Franks in Hollywood, and he was wearing a hat, and he was sitting with someone I knew. And I went over to him, and everyone was ignoring him, talking about their own shit, and I went over and I went, Mickey, i love the new album. And he went, Thank you. <laughs> because he just made it. In 2015, Go back and look for it. It's really good. It sounds like them so much. It's just divine. Um, now, we're going to... Sp- we might start this... What time did we start this show? <laughs> I not matter. doesn't matter. Nothing matters. All right. You're right about up. that. Uh, so I made the album in San Francisco last week, and I don't have a name for it. I improvised it, and um, the second night it was really warm. Anyway... What is it you're going to talk about? Oh, there's a lot of people here um, who are, have uh, served in our armed forces tonight, and I have to notice, of course, so I'm, I can't help but notice, uh, th- when we're in a place like this, uh, there's uh, so many people who've served the country, and I just wanted to do something that we rarely do on the show. Let's give everyone a hand who served our great country here. Yeah. You never need to wonder if it's superfluous to do something nice or say something nice for someone. It's not superfluous. It's not too much. It's not adding on to something they hear all the time. They don't hear it enough. If you're a nurse, you never hear it enough. If you're a teacher, you never hear it enough. If you're a mother, you never hear it enough. If you're a woman, you never hear it enough. Um, if you were in the armed forces, people say to me uh, things like, um, oh, I bet you get this all the time, but I want to tell you something. And I'll go, what is it? And they'll be like, I think you're funny. And I'm like, I don't get that enough. <laughs> I need a constant flow of that. <laughs> because it reinforces what you're doing. And for people who served, I think they'd like to hear it occasionally. They'd also like health care and, you know, on you know, honest wage and shit like that. They'd like to not have their pension raised by the White House, which is what's happening this week. They'd like to not see officers punished and have their medals taken away for being oh. in a cage. Yeah, they'd like all those things, I think. Mmm. I know. Tough times, as they say. Um, the debates over the last two nights, and I watched them. Say, you don't have to. I'm not going to go through every moment of it. Cause it'll take till the end of time. But I will say this: uh, the your governor, ennisley uh, uh, he looked quite good on TV, didn't he? He was very serious and studious. He's not good looking or enchanting in any way.
1: But
0: he comes off calm and considered. I mean, when you're up against fucking assholes like Delaney and Bernie Sanders who are screaming all the time and shit and have nothing to say, guys who as soon as anybody starts talking, wave their hand in the air like they're at the fucking Red Lobster trying to get a shrimp scatter. <laughs> <laughs> Sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up, it's a debate. First of all, CNN pimps it like it's some kind of crappy world fucking wrestling federation bullshit. <laughs> Drop the line. No, this is a serious event. The problem with everything is that we're all too goddamn stupid and we haven't taken five minutes to look something over. You want to give everybody a chance to talk about what their position is and what they have come up with as ideas to solve the very great problems facing our country. Twenty people's too many, and here's the ones I'm cutting immediately. Marianne Williamson, who on the internet has been called Chakra Khan for the last four days. I didn't think of it. It's genius. I feel awful for Chakra Khan, who I love and adore. Chakra Khan. That fucking. Um, she's a dangerous lunatic. I mean, you can, I, her answer about reparations, I loved, uh, because she was the only one who even addressed it. Um, and reparations are a real thing and really do need to happen. I know uh, there's white people up, up here and I saw a lot of you. I met a lot of you. But you have to understand that if you existed 200 years ago or even 170 years ago um you would have been the financial equivalent of a house to another human being if you weren't a white person which meant if you had a thousand slaves on your property that was like a thousand homes in today's money do you understand what i'm saying that's the amount of massive wealth not to mention the crops the the food the, the building the everything you got for free imagine you redid your house and made it a 32-room antebellum mansion with enormous grounds that ran on forever in a stable, and you didn't pay a dime to have that made. No wages, just food and occasional health care. So I know everyone's gone quiet and it's all serious and shit, and I know that I started with Marianne Williamson, which doesn't put me on the firmest moral footing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Reparations
0: were paid to the Japanese by Reagan, of all people, because people fought ceaselessly for it. Reparations were paid to every country in Europe after the war, damn. The Germans paid them. The Japanese paid reparations. It's not out of hand, it's not unheard of and it's not not crazy. The reason why we're sitting here and I have a Mont Blanc pen is because the labor of other people enabled the pretend white race to float to the top. Why is it pretend? Because some of my family's Jewish and we weren't always white. Some of you were Irish, and you weren't always white. Some of you were Polish, and you weren't always white. Some of you were Italian, and you weren't always white. Some of you were Greek, and you would see whiteness includes. It's this weird, amorphous thing that people thought of. So I've got a book here, speaking of. Who gave me this, by the way? I met you outside, but we didn't exchange names. It was me, Daryl. It was me, Daryl, with your your last name. I know your last name too, don't I, Daryl? It is you. This is a book in the chain that challenges me in the same way your podcast does, State Review Journal. Thank you. It's called White Fragility Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And it's because we're white. (laughs) And we don't want to feel guilty and we don't want to feel responsible. The idea that you weren't alive when all these bad things happened is absolute empirical nonsense. If you see a black person uh, and they're older, They experienced Jim Crow more than you could possibly imagine. And that's just using the most blatant, stupid, illustrative example. Um, You are not going to be shocked if you're pulled over by the Tacoma. If I am shit faced tonight, which I intend on being, and I get in my Chevy Nova, and I fucking turn on some, yeah, and I crank up some fucking fog hat, and I do a fucking donut down the corner here, and a Tacoma policeman pulls me over, he is not going to shoot me. Even if I went, fuck you, I'm Greg Krups from Hoosani, he's going to go, oh, I fucking love that show. (laughs) That's my privilege. Everything else isn't white privilege. Meaning if you're not white, you don't have the privilege. We include Asian people sometimes. uh, our our reindeer games and stuff like that. I'm not trying to make everything awful. You live in Washington and you know the fucking score. And you've been to other places. You've been to the eastern side of Washington. You've been to Seattle, so you've, you've seen it. I mean, you've gone there before. What's interesting is that getting someone to come from Seattle to see me in Tacoma is like getting someone from San Francisco to move to Oakland. (laughs) 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 I have friends in Seattle and I go, hey I'm playing Tacoma and they're like, listen when you play Seattle again man, you just fucking call me (laughs) (laughs) We
1: drove here.
0: Did you, thank you darlings. Thank you to the people that did drive here from Seattle. Thanks for spoiling my joke. <laughs> um, really, really cool. Really cool. Great
1: job.
0: White people. Um Dan and Angela wrote this, and Michael Eric Dyson wrote the foreword, and Michael Eric Dyson's book is the one that I quote incessantly, and it's called Cheers We Cannot Stop. He has several books, but Cheers We Cannot Stop is one where he discusses, uh, discusses at length um, the invention of whiteness and uh, what this current administration is doing about it and like that. So, on the debates, a couple of things I want to go over with you, uh, and this is why. Um, there's a lot of crazy people on this. Marianne Williamson is an anti-vaxxer. Jill Stein is an anti-vaxxer. Mm. Now, people who don't believe vaccinations are uh, a public health hazard. That's a very dangerous thing. I was vaccinated when I was little. We were all given... Joe Assault vaccinated me in 19... Fuck <laughs> <not> That's <laughs> <laughs> just dramatic. Really? Did Louis Pasteur, too? Yeah, I've never had smallpox
1: or polio.
0: Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of our presidents, one of our longest-running presidents. Now in its 13th grade year, chain-smoked and was bed- uh, was uh, uh, bound to a wheelchair. He was our uh, our greatest disabled president. He was a specially able person who was ridden in a wheelchair at the ballpark every year when they'd throw out the first pitch they would stand and remove the wheelchair from behind him and he would take a picture going like this and then they put him back in the fucking wheelchair and he'd light up a cigarette when they built the statue of him in Washington they removed the cigarette from his hand it was like he constantly had a cigarette in a holder because he was patrician Um, and quite intelligent not the worst president certainly uh, a lovely uh it's nice that we had a disabled president when you think about it, how ableist our society is. But what's your point? <laughs> he had polio because there was no vaccination for polio then, and it destroyed his legs and he could not walk. Yeah. So when people say to you, vaccination is a conspiracy by the government, <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone saying to you, there's no climate change. I'm going to Spokane this weekend, it's going to be 93 degrees, you guys. <laughs> Has it been this hot here in the last million years? No, because there's fucking, you know, it's happening. We, we got it. Greenland, I don't know if you saw, by the way, today, like layer cake fell apart today. Greenland went, like that. So, your Governor Emsley uh, coming on with his scree about um, uh, climate change is certainly timely. And certainly the right state to have it put forward. A state where you have a high minimum wage, a state where, um, yes, there's certainly things going on. Um, House Democrats have elected the first woman Speaker of the House in Washington State. From Tacoma, Representative Lori Jenkins was elected Speaker during the Wednesday caucus meeting at Frank Democratic the state's Laurent. This will be the most challenging job I've ever had. Jenkins is the first open lesbian to serve as Washington Speaker of the House. Um, Democrats hold a 57 to 41 majority in the House, and women with 31 seats hold a majority with the caucus. According to the National Conference of State Legislators, SHRs, Seven other states currently have female speakers, Colorado, Iowa, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Oregon, and Vermont. Um, congratulations to Ms. Jenkins, it's so awesome. I was so happy to see that happen uh, yesterday here uh, in Washington State. The capital is in Olympia, I don't know Woo! I like the beer too, thank you. Is there still Olympia beer? We have a no, from over there. and someone else Yes. I and then mean, someone in the middle, I'm not kidding, went, kind of. Yeah. That is the most Washington answer I've ever heard. Is there Olympia beer? No. Yes. Kind of. Do you want it to it's be? It's beer. oh lea oh That's Olympia. oh lea That was the theme song that I was little and then yeah. Hams Hams had the awesomely racist one <speaking> From the land of blue waters Hams the water best for booboo Hams the beer refreshing Hams the be refreshing Oh, Polis That's the reason why It's the water Only, only. There's a big beer beer when I was little I mean I didn't drink beer when I was little But I saw the <laughs> You see it close the brewery do you? Yeah. yeah Sorry about your anger over this Well Oli was like What if Coors was good? Right? It was light it, was, it wasn't very frothy It was refreshing My mother would drink one Every fucking blue moon And pour salt in it Don't ever judge my mother She was raised on a farm in Mississippi in the 20s. And so she put salt in her beer. And she put, um, when you you have radishes, that's not a euphemism. When you have radishes, (laughs) when you eat the food, the radish, (laughs) you know how you you peel the top off and whatnot, and then you maybe chop them a little? My mother would slather them with salt. Mm -hmm. Like, we never ate a vegetable.
1: Mm.
0: Avocados came with lemon and mayonnaise and salt. Okay. That's how you ate an avocado. Oh, I don't still do, so just stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but every once in a while, just to get that feeling, I'll put a in the mayonnaise <laughs> I mean a dollop, like that, bam. And then lemon, and then... Yum. Yeah, fuck yum. yeah. Someone over here just uh, went, a yum. <laughs> yeah. When a woman goes, yum, I win. <laughs> I win. Shh. Rock them up. <laughs> ah. For the people who grossed out, I won. <laughs> she would put salt on those, and then she would put, uh, she didn't put ketchup on mayonnaise, I mean on cottage cheese, I think we were about that. Not my people, <laughs> She did, however, because she was from Mississippi. Make things like lima beans and black eyed peas yes. and hominy, not grits, simply the big hominies. Mm-hmm. And the way you make hominy taste good, because it's just a big puffy piece of bloated corn,
1: <laughs>
0: is you slather it with butter and salt and pepper. <laughs> and then it'll it tastes great. you're like, this is buttery and salt and pepper, right? What is it? It's like a big bloated piece of corn. <laughs> it's the water of. The road. <laughs> we haven't even ever started the show. No. 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 So, in the debates, uh, Governor it was informative. Um, I don't know what pundits are watching, because pundits tend to be white guys who have this really weird, narrow viewpoint of the world. With pundits, everything is like, I didn't like the TV show, so I thought they could... They're just horrible. They really are like Morris the cat from the old fancy feast. What was it, Nine months? In fact, did I do this last week on the show? Am I that stoned? Morris the Cat was a spokesperson for cat food yeah. in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s and later. I don't know. And was a beautiful yellow cat. Orange, cow. orange, orange, orange. Yeah, relax, everybody. I'll get the color right. <laughs> you know, if I brought up Leviticus and said in verse three, chapter four, no one would correct me. If I said, when you're reading Melville, that part right at the end, no one would correct me. No one would know what I was talking about. I said Morris was yellow, and everybody went, oh, orange, orange, orange. Morris is orange. Morris, Morris, caps orange. Okay, okay, Raymond. Morris the fucking cat is orange. Hooray for fucking Morris. He's still alive. He, someone just went, he's still alive. How am <laughs> I to know that? How am I to know that Morris lives on a retired cat food spokesperson ranch somewhere outside of yeah, Above (laughs) Brenton, Morris the cat would be left alone by his master. Or he wouldn't be. And a woman would come in and she was all ankles. You never saw her. She was simply a pair of feet, shoes. And he would go, time for (laughs) dinner. I'm starved. Morris! Oh, it's her. <laughs> she who shop for fun. No, <laughs> he was sassy. It was actually a gay raconteur that lived in his bungalow. Was he a writer? Had he been grown there? Why, why was the, his master? So uh, unfailingly positive and cutesy pie with him, and he had no truck with it at all. He was like living with James Baldwin or something. It was just this <laughs> sassy, gay writer about to say, Well, oh, I guess dinner's going to be late today. Guess there's no din din for the moment. and then she'd go, Morris. And then he'd go, Mmm, say. <laughs> These nine lives are delicious. And he was still, he'd come patting towards the nine-lots and... Sometimes she stroke his head or whatnot. Oh! Master's gone for the weekend. Hmm, I guess I'm here alone. Oh, look! He left all this cocaine out. I'm ripped to the tits. Fuck you. i don't boiler maker. <laughs> did <Ding, ding. laughs> Which brings me to the debates. What about Moscow. There was a. Oh, uh, did we finish Moscow? No, we didn't. Oh, oh, we did. Did. I pulled him off the stage and then we Oh, okay. So now we're hungry. <laughs> watch who's that girl, and we're stoned. And we're starving it out So, Tom and I agree. We look at each other and we're like, well, let's go in. And I had a car, as you call the car from room air. Yeah. So, downstairs, it just so happens, is the only 24 hour coffee shop within any vicinity. In the hotel. The hotel has its own 24 hour coffee shop. Well, you can imagine who the clientele was at that hour. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom and I go downstairs to the coffee shop, and we stand there waiting for table in our show clothes. he's now he's in a T-shirt that says like you know Tom and Jerry or something, <laughs> right? Or Rin and Stimpy it was then. Tom's wearing like yeah, hello, hey, hey, <laughs> and all the jocks fucking turn in the restaurant. They're all there, <laughs> and they all see us, and they go hey. Can we sit with you? Hey, you girls. Can we sit with you? Like I turn to Tom and I go, "Let's go back up." <laughs> a lot of handholding, a lot of hunger that night. <laughs> Two sad boys who look vaguely similar. <laughs> yeah, we were driven from the coffee shop by uh, only because. I was starving, and I really would have done it, and I just didn't want to endure the abuse the whole time they were too drunk, and I wasn't drunk enough. So, uh, reverse it. <laughs> um, well, we're almost done. That went quickly. You guys are genius. Um, I have a lot of what? Fucking, fucking bullshit. That's what I mean. Paper doesn't fail, you may have noticed. At no point did I look at the paper and go, what's happening? (laughs) Thank you. Um, We're on the road. I think I've discussed that briefly. Uh, By the time this comes out, this will all be a foregone conclusion, and Spokane will be a dim and distant memory. (laughs) However, I will be doing it in case you wish to drive over, since you've driven from Seattle, and I Thank you. (laughs) Um, next week, uh, on the 7th, which is Wednesday, we're going to show uh, Babette's Feast at the Aero Theater in Santa Monica. Uh, the great Bruce Hill Club returns with the Danish classic from the 80s um, about a French woman who um, puts on a magical dinner to change a bunch of white people's mind about their bourgeois bullshit. You'll really like it. And I'm going to get to Tulsi Gabbard in a second. I haven't forgotten where we are. The boring feature part's short, but substantial. Uh, then we're going to be doing uh, uh, The ballery in Bristow Square in Edinburgh uh, with Clive Anderson, Mike McShane, Stephen Frost, a bunch of the British people from Who's is it anyway? I'll be there the 13th through the 26th. Then at the Gilda balloon on the 14th and 19th, a podcast that will be in Edinburgh. Then on the 28th, the Soho Theatre in London. Who's Live, anyway, is on the road all over Canada in September and October. And then we'll also be in Illinois in October. For my birthday, we'll be in Waukegan for Jeff Davis' birthday another place (laughs) thank you Keith and then we're on the road for the rest of the year and jazz like that and then at the very end of the year and I couldn't be more excited about this um, uh, let's see December 6, 7, 8, 9 we're going to be in um, uh, Scotland at the Royal National Opera with uh, Nightmare Before Christmas at Danny Elton and a full orchestra and uh, uh, John McChairn conducting and then we'll be in Wembley Arena in London for two nights and then we're going to go to Dublin after that and there might be other gigs I'll let you know when they come up if you haven't seen it, it's really fun. We play the movie The Nightmare Before Christmas and we all get up and sing it uh, with a full orchestra and Danny sings all of his songs And Catherine O'Hara, and on Ken Page. We, do, we, we did it in Japan in May and Ken Page came over and sang A Beat Boogie. It was really, 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 really fucking fun. Did I tell you that? I think I did. There was an earthquake dress rehearsal. So we're sitting out, an earthquake dress rehearsal, right, We're the last number, right? So la 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 that part for the reprise. At the very end of the show, John Mutcher is standing in front of me, I'm here, the conductor's there. The conductor's interpreter is behind him. The place starts to shake like this.
1: Oh please.
0: <laughs> and we look at each other, the singers, because we're all from California and like, hey. Eh. <laughs> and the interpreter fantastically looks at us and goes,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> She actually mouthed the words.
1: <laughs>
0: and we're all like, yeah and I looked up at the lighting instruments and they weren't moving. See how it, 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 you, we're all experienced earthquake colors here and people who don't know in earthquake sounds don't know this. You, you have to look at what's hanging. Lights, anything that's hung because things that hang go like this. Woo. If it's a shaky one they go like that but if it's a really weird one they go like that and then it wasn't one of the, it wasn't that one it was the one that's a big swift jolt and it wasn't this one the did that one and it wasn't this one it was the
1: Right in Tokyo
0: John Moncherry who's a genius was Leonard Bernstein's protege and when he tells stories about Leonard Bernstein calls him Lenny (laughs) so how can you be in the room with him because they go well Lenny was very funny (laughs) (laughs)
1: did I tell you my pen
0: we didn't go out and do coke which I wish we'd done Aww. I know right Christmas that's a Pam Anderson story
1: <laughs>
0: so we're doing coke with Elizabeth Hurley
1: <laughs> <laughs> right
0: that's a fucking good story I can think what out, but it wouldn't be true um, so uh, yeah he uh, John Cherry, we go to him after and go John did you feel the earthquake while we were performing and he went no he was like well that's that maestro and then way because we're in Japan. People in Japan, how do I characterize this, are the most polite, composed people that you'll ever yeah. meet in the, you, your life. Yeah. And so, screaming emotion is not a thing that Japanese people are comfortable with. Whereas you or I, because we're Americans, would go, fucking woo! Just because we like the flavor of soda. <laughs> Japanese people would not do that. Nor would Japanese people serve you anything that was a mess on a plate. Like, you don't go to Japan and get, like, a burger with shit flying everywhere and, like, you know, Oh, I put some gravy on you, No. In Japan, it's three cherries, and they've been, you know, the juice of one particular endocrine gland of an otter has been spread out of an They're perfectly placed. There is no litter on the street. There are no garbage cans anywhere. People take their refuse with them. They do not throw cigarette butts like that up one of their car. They do not honk at one another. They are reserved. So when an earthquake happened. There's 150 people on stage, and I was like, "Is anyone going to say anything?" And I was like, "No." no, no. <laughs> if it was America, someone would have come over and gone. We've had a discussion, and we're going to do the show, right? Because the show was in an hour. Yeah. Then in Japan, I was like, "No, mm-hmm. And then someone came up and went, "Don't worry, this place is retrofitted." And I was like, well, "That's going to be pretty exciting during Act One when the crowd shakes out of their fucking chair." <laughs> And across the street from our hotel, the Toho Studios and an enormous statue of Godzilla. (laughs) And I mean across the street from our hotel. (laughs) Every time we went out the door, it was... "Um, uh, 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 uh." It actually wasn't because the Blue Oyster Cult Center is awfully (laughs) unmeasurable. I did, however, pretend to be afraid of Godzilla and ran away from him in a picture. to great acclaim on Instagram. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Tulsi Gowder is a public person who um, is a congressperson from Hawaii. She's also uh, a dangerous tool of the Russians and an apologist for Assad, the dictator of Syria. I know she served uh, in the service. I know she's a brave person. She's also um, an evil, insidious um, part of what's going on right now. And I would like you to be more observant, if I may be so bold as to put forward. White people were very easily fooled during the 2016 election by a dazzling variety of um, plots and bots and trolls and whatnot that were planted all over social media, like Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, Twitter, and whatnot. And they're allowed to run around them because they pay giant fees to do those kind of things. I want you to be more mindful this time around. When you hear her say something ratty, um, understand that um, she's literally repeating Russian talking points and stuff like that and um, one must be mindful is all I'm saying Now you know I know there's a lot of white people here again and you couldn't be quieter right now <laughs> <laughs> I'm not blaming you you're the beautiful people as Prince said <laughs> the beautiful ones
1: <laughs> baby what's it gonna be <laughs> <laughs> if we get there,
0: would that be cool Um, who, who gave me this one, Sergeant Pepper? Who? Oh, Shane. Shane, thank Shane. you. Um, there was a movie that came out in 1978, was it? Called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, it was the songs of the Beatles, as sung by the Bee Gees, with Peter Frampton. Oh my God. On the back, you'll find many other guest stars in the movie. Steve Martin as Dr. Maxwell. uh, uh, Oh, no. Well, just him, evidently. Alice Cooper sings because um, the Bee Gees were an awesome, awesome pop group and one of the great disco groups of all time. No question about it. Um, Because they had different drug predilections on the set, they were known as um, um, Maurice was... um, um, what were they? <laughs> um, Robin, the one who sang the high part I did yesterday I could never make you happy yeah. Right, Robin? Yeah. How can you make yeah. the broken heart? How can I lose ever win? They were genius He was puffy because he smoked weed <laughs> Um, uh, uh, who's the overbearing brother? shooting of the movie, Puffy, Pilly, and Pussy. <laughs> Sadly, this is not their shining hour. They do, however, in one exciting, the best part of the movie is, at one point, Earth, Wind, and Fire descends from the heavens. And this thing has got to get you into my life. They How went, oops, oh, still but they don't see it like the Beatles. They go, oh uh, 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 uh. Gotta get you into my life, into my life. Uh, And um, then the Bee Gees uh, do a bunch of things to Beatles songs that oughtn't be done. And then Steve Martin sings Maxwell Silverhammer, which is the lowest thing, the worst thing that ever happened in your life. It is literally the worst thing that ever happened. A girl named Strawberry Fields sings a song called Strawberry Fields to herself in the the musical. It's pretty wild. It's really wild. Um, And then... uh, um, Aerosmith sings Come Together, and Aerosmith's never been as fucked up or cooked up in their life in the movie. They're as scary as running. They weigh four pounds, and they play Come Together in kind of a droogie, heavy metal version. So they're like, Right? Come down. Then... They get in a fight with the Bee Gees. <laughs> oh no, it's like Avengers Assemble. The Bee Gees, with Peter Captain, fight Aerosmith. <laughs> and beat them. And then run away and have more adventures. You've been the smartest guy in the world, I've been the smartest man in the world. Every page you choose, and you've got your page you've to know going to if you have to